0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So praise be to God. Thank you all for joining me, and thank you. All. I want to welcome you coming from SoundCloud and everyone coming into the church today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thanks be to God that we're all here, and God's important to us today. So uh, if you enjoy me with my uh, with a prayer. The Lord just reminded me; I sometimes forget that. Join me in a word of prayer, please, before I start my thoughts from last week's message and my new sermon, and. Um, and then we'll get started, please. So join me. Lord, thank you so much for uh, for for joining us here, Lord. Your word says wherever two or more are gathered in your name, Lord, then you are here. So, Lord, I thank you for joining us, Lord. I thank you for your constant love that you pour out upon all mankind and your constant draw on all mankind, Lord. Your word says that you draw, you're drawing all men to yourself, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you're drawing all peoples to yourself, Lord, and that you're using Gospel Saving Church, this little church here in McKinney, Texas, Lord, that you're, drawing, that you're using us, Lord, as a tool and as a vessel to do that all over the world, as well as here and even in McKinney. So, Lord, I, I thank you. And, Lord, for today's message, I, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to understand, Lord. Send forth the, the Holy Spirit, Lord, to give us understanding today, Lord, and to teach us, Lord, what you would want us to know today from this text, Lord, that we're going to study enlighten us please Lord God and then Lord may we not be just hearers of the word only Lord but may we be doers as well Lord for Lord it is not the hearer that is saved Lord but it's the doer that is saved Lord because not that we're saved by works but Lord we must hear and then if we care about you we must obey so Lord help us to hear and obey what you have to tell us today So, Lord, bless this message and bless our ears and bless our hearts, Lord, and may we be ready and open and uh, willing to listen to you and obey you. And, uh, Lord, please keep the distractions out of this place today and out of the homes and the ears and the minds of all those that are listening all over the world. And uh, we ask that, uh, Lord, you would speak, Lord, and speak to people's hearts. And, and Lord, that people be changed after listening to this message, Lord, and and we would um, be different, Lord, uh, in you in a better way. Thank you so much, God. We, we praise you, and we thank you, and we love you. and We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be this week, and you can turn there if you'd like. All those listening, it's kind of a little hard. I, I actually would advise you to go to your context, your table of context, before you actually try to go to the book. We're going to be in 1 Timothy this week, and we're going to be in verses one through seven. For all those that are listening online all over the world, First Timothy one through seven, all over the world. Um, but first, while you're getting there, I'll give you some time to get there. I'm going to talk about my thoughts from last week's message, the very last part of Matthew, uh, the sermon titled "God is a Rewarder of Those That Diligently Seek Him." In regards to all those, in regards to seeking God in Christ, to all those that are listening to this message, wherever you are, just a word on seeking. God Almighty says in Isaiah 56.6, he says this, Seek the Lord, and you could say, seek me, he could, be, he could be saying, seek me, he said, but seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near think about this why would god want people to seek him while he may be found can't god always be found i mean after all god is everywhere One of my favorite pastors uh, that me and my family watch on Bible Time says, you know, speaking about the omnipotence of God, says that, you know, God is everywhere, but we have a hard time thinking about, well, how is God everywhere? Well, uh, it's more easy to think, how is God everywhere than everywhere is in God's presence? And that's true, because God is everywhere, but how can he be everywhere? Well, think about everywhere, because he's a lot bigger than everywhere. So everywhere is in his presence. So can't God always be found? Well, most people would say yes, but absolutely, actually not. For one thing, you won't be able to seek God in hell. That's one place that you will not be able to seek God after you die in hell. And the only time really that seeking God counts is not in heaven because then you'll be there because God wants you there and you wanted to be there. So you'll always be in his presence there and you'll always see his face. So the only time seeking God counts is while you're alive in this flesh here on this earth. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, after you die, the judgment comes. And so after you die, God will judge you. And if you're being judged, if you think about it, even at that point, you won't have to seek God because you'll see his face as he judges you. So you won't have to seek him anymore, right? He's going to be right there. You're going to see him. And the reason seeking God only counts while you're alive in the flesh is this. At this judgment, the great judge will either judge you righteous because you were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and then he'll allow you to come into heaven, or he'll judge you unrighteous because you weren't covered by the blood of Christ. And he'll send you, because that's where he wanted to go anyway, he'll send you to hell. So why would God want people to seek him while he can be found? And we can say, and we can add, while we're alive? Well, it's because you're seeking God, whether you do or don't, has a bearing, has a, a relationship between where you'll spend the rest of eternity. If you seek him now, as we read over last week in 2 Chronicles, if you seek him now... For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He'll see it and he'll reward you with an eternal life you know, forever and an abundant walk in faith now. If you seek him now, but if you don't seek him now and you wait till you're forced to see him, then as we told an unfortunate person yesterday, man that we talked to uh, by a store that we were in, Uh, He doesn't want to seek God now, doesn't even care. Then his lot will be in eternal flames and fire forever. And that's, he doesn't want to be in heaven, so therefore that's where he'll go because he doesn't want to seek God now. So you see, God longs for you to seek him while you're alive because he wants to grant you eternal life. He doesn't want you to fluff him off and blow him off now because if you do, then you'll get the reward for that. Those who seek God's face will be rewarded with eternal life. Those who don't seek God's face and live however they want will be rewarded with eternal death. So he longs for you to seek him while he may be found in your flesh or earthly body to either start seeking a relationship and salvation in him. And you can even say even after you've come to him, he longs for you to seek him so that you can grow more in your knowledge and relationship with him daily. So the question is this, for every one of us, we must ask each one of ourselves. You know, Paul said, consider yourself to see if you're in the faith. The question is this, are we seeking God Almighty in Jesus Christ today while we're alive, while he may be found, while it counts, or are we not? Are we seeking or are we not? God's done his part, remember. God showed us his love on the cross. He came and the you know we just did it in communion. We he came to earth and in the flesh and he died for us on the cross and he proved his love for us on the cross. There's no question there. We know God loves us. The question is this: because he showed us his love, how will we respond to his love? Will we seek him daily? Seek the Lord, Isaiah fifty six six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So I challenge you. This day, those who are listening to this, will you make an effort to either seek Jesus more if you already know him, or will you make an or will you start to seek Jesus if you have a doubt or you'd admit that you don't know him? Again as I said earlier, 2 Chronicles 16:9, if you do seek the Lord, he'll see it. For he is everywhere, or a better way to say it, everywhere is in his presence. So he'll see it if you do, and he'll come to you as he did to me, and he'll reveal himself to you as he did to me 15 or 16 years ago. But God leaves this totally up to you. He did his part. Now he tells you what he did. Now it's up to you and me and how we'll respond to what he did. But as I've said before, And I'll say it again and I'll probably say it until I die. There's nothing greater than anyone can do in this flesh while we're alive now in this human body than to seek the Lord. You can always make more money and you can always make more toys and you can always get a bigger house but you can't get more life. Who are you seeking? And what are you seeking? Because if you're seeking all those things, you're not seeking God. So, Will you seek God? He wants to know. He wants to know, and he's waiting to see if you'll respond. All right. Well, praise God. Let's get on to our new sermon for today. We're going to mean 1 Timothy 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. The name of our teaching today is false teaching and fables had crept in. False teaching and fables had crept in. Read verses uh, 1 through 7 with me in 1 Timothy, would you please? And then we'll get to learning them. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, Verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So, today if you're wondering, if you've been listening to Gospel Saving Church for a while, you're wondering, Pastor Ed, we're not in a gospel anymore. Well, yes, amen, you're right. We studied the Gospel of Matthew for two and a half or so years. Uh, You know, uh, I don't even know how many sermons, a whole bunch. But today we're going to be in what what they call the first letter of Timothy or the first letter of Paul to Timothy, and that's called an epistle. what we call it. The Bible doesn't call it that. People deem this letter or letters in the Bible epistles. There's gospels, and there's epistles, and then there's the book of Revelations, and then there's the book of Acts. So today we're going to be in the epistle, or letter, of, the, of Paul to Timothy. As I pray, because I wasn't sure. Remember, I asked you guys last week, if you guys were listening, please pray for me because I wasn't sure what book we were going to be in. As I prayed, God spoke to my heart, First Timothy. That's what he said. I had never taught an epistle before, so I was kind of nervous this week and got some words from the Lord, and he confirmed that, uh, you know, don't be afraid. I'm with you. It's all going to be okay, and sure enough, God delivered, and I've got a sermon for us today. So uh, praise God, and it's a darn good one, I think, so uh, let's get into learning it. But before I start teaching on these verses, 1 Timothy 1 through 7, I I felt uh, it was necessary to give kind of an overview of, you know, what this book is, who the people are. I mean, I don't know who's listening to me out there, whether you're, uh, you know, a a Christian first year or whether you've been a Christian for 20 years, but either way, it's a good refresher. And maybe I'll teach you something about the first book of Timothy um, that you maybe didn't know. So before I start the the, the study, we're going to look at a quick overview of the author, the letter, and its recipients. So, First of all, as we already read, the letter was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, which would have been his understudy or his co-worker in the gospel. Who were Paul, or who I should say who was Paul and who was Timothy? Well, Paul, in case you do not know your scriptures, was a, he was a converted Pharisee. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a very religious man, super religious. So religious, he fought for Judaism. When Christ came, he fought against Christ. He fought against the disciples. He was there when the first martyr was stoned, the martyr Stephen. Because he did not want to see the he did not want to see this false teaching as he thought of Jesus Christ go into the world. He, he was angry. He, he, he thought Judaism, Judaism was the way, and so he was gonna fight tooth and nail. Uh, against Jesus Christ and His disciples in the way of this new church, this new teaching that He did not agree with, and He did not think was from God. Well, God meets Him as He's traveling on the road to Damascus, as He's going to imprison and torture, maybe kill other Christians after Stephen. And Christ meets Him along the road and shows up to Him and gives Him this great vision. And Paul's blinded for a little bit, but anyway, as this, apost- this other apostle or disciple comes and lays hands, He gets. Healed And he could see, but then he becomes changed. He gets converted and his name goes from Saul. He was the uh, Pharisee named Saul to a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul is what he ends up getting named. So that's Paul. Timothy was, he was the uh, certain, uh, he was the son of a Jewish woman. And of a Greek father. So Timothy wasn't, uh, wasn't he was born with a Jewish mother, which would not have made him Jewish by descent. You see, in the Jewish faith, really people were only thought to be Jews if their father was Jewish. So he would have been thought more Greek than a Jew. So either way, uh, he was the son actually of a believing Jewish woman, which meant that she believed in Christ. She was a Christian. And Timothy himself was named uh, by, Un- uh, by uh, Eunice, his mother, and uh, anyway, he was a believer as well. When Paul met him, we'll get into that a little bit, he was already actually a Christian. So here in this letter, Paul writes to the young Timothy, we'll see that as we go on in the book, where he urged him to stay in Ephesus, which was a, there was a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was in Asia Minor, or if you don't know, Asia Minor is in current-day, modern-day Turkey. Verse 3 tells us that he's there in Ephesus and that Paul urges him to stay there while he goes away. The letter was written by Paul to Timothy in around AD 56, 57. So mid mid 50s, late 50s roughly. How do we know this? Well, verse 3 of this epistle tells us that Paul urges Timothy to stay in Ephesus while he goes to Macedonia. Cuz Paul was on he was a missionary, he was a missionary and lead apostle, lead kind of, you know, disciple of the church and and so these details come out of Paul's third missionary journey which we read about in Acts 20 that's in case you're wondering you can actually go back to Acts 16 through 20 and read about Paul's meeting of Timothy and Paul's journeys and so on and so forth so Acts 20 and this Acts 20 missionary journey uh, dates right around 56 you know AD 56 AD 57 Paul actually meets Timothy in a section of, Tur- again, Turkey, named Derby or Lystra, which is Acts 16.1. Uh, it's a different part of Turkey, probably a, you know, another part of the country, different part, of the part, but still Turkey. And during his first missionary journey, that's when they officially meet. Acts 16.3 tells us that after they meet, Paul and Timothy decide to work together and become co-workers in the gospel. Of course, Paul is older, while Timothy is younger. At the time of this letter, Paul was a senior apostle. Uh, overseer of the churches of Asia, really. He was—he had been in the faith maybe 20 to 25 years at this point. We'll talk about this in a little bit while Timothy was maybe only a, a disciple or apostle for five or ten years or so. So Timothy would have been the guy that would look after the church during Paul's third missionary journey. Paul was going away. Paul had started all these churches in Asia, and, of course, churches need pastors. Churches need pastors to lead them, to shepherd the flock, to correct the problems, so on and so forth, and so... Timothy was the guy that Paul chose to be the pastor of this church. He urged him to stay there so he could... We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Anyway, he urged him to see. But as you will see in this first letter, in our first verses today, as if you didn't see it already and if you don't know, uh, if you've never read this before, uh, this church had a definite need of a good pastor because it already had some doctrinal issues, some doctrinal problems that were going on. And, of course, a pastor is painfully the one that, you know, is in charge of correcting those things and addressing those issues that are in the church, and he's the one that, you know, God gives this duty to. But I could say more. We could talk a whole lot more about this book and what Paul did and what Timothy did and so on and so forth and Paul's journeys and so on and so forth. But putting that aside, Paul's teaching, 1 through 7, we're going to look at it now and see what Paul actually has to say to Timothy because there's a lot that we can glean for our lives today, for our church that's still today. This What we read today, we're going to see is it's all in the church today. Exactly what Paul commands Timothy to correct here in this epistle for this church as the young new pastor of the church in Ephesus. So look at verse 1 again. Paul says a whole lot in verses 1 and 2. He doesn't talk anything about the problems. He just, well, let's see. Verse 1 again, what did Paul say? Paul An apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, notice he said God our Savior, that's important, we'll get to that, and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Notice Paul calls himself an apostle first. What is an apostle? If you don't know, the word apostle means one cent, simply. Just one cent. He's an apostle. Look, he says first, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So so this is, he's saying, Jesus Christ sent me into all the world to go out and preach the gospel. Now, before, because the church actually has a slight problem with this. Some churches really think, oh, wow, we're going to deem this person an apostle. But before you get so excited about Paul being an apostle, remember remember Jesus, our very last verse of last week's scripture jesus says go ye he tells the disciples which would go for anybody that's a disciple anybody that's a christian that gets saved that surrenders to jesus he says go ye therefore in all the earth go ye therefore in all earth and preach the gospel what did jesus do to all those that really get saved he made us all apostles he says to all believers go so, don't get so excited when you hear somebody say apostle. They're just confused. They don't really understand that that means all people that are saved because God gave the command, Christ gave the command to all believers. Go, ye in there, all the earth, and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, again, everyone is an apostle, but Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm one sent of Jesus Christ. And Paul then says, right after that, that. God also commands this out. Look at what he said. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior. So Paul, not only an apostle of Jesus Christ, also an apostle of God. God and Christ agree. You'll see that all through Scripture, God and Christ, they agree. There's a reason they're one. They should agree. There shouldn't be any schism between God the Father and God the Son. A big note here. Paul says in this verse, this can be confusing, that God is our Savior. God is our Savior. What in the world is he talking about? He calls Jesus Christ our hope, not our Savior. What is Paul saying? I mean, that's kind of confusing, right? I mean, I thought Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was the Savior of the world. I mean, the New Testament says that. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Is this a contradiction? No. But the Bible supports God being Savior. Isaiah forty three eleven, God says of himself, I, even I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. So God says of himself, I am the Savior. So what are the Bible and Paul saying to us? Well, this can be confusing, seem like a contradiction, because actually even the New Testament and Paul and Christ, they all call God and Christ the Savior also. They say that they're all the Savior. Yet Isaiah 43 said, God said, I alone am the Savior. So this can be confusing, but it's okay It's okay that there is just one Savior. The Bible calls both God and Christ the Savior because simply, they are both one. Simply. God is a triune God. God says, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were equal triune pieces. They're one God in three different pieces just like you are one person with a soul a flesh body and some bones in you just like an egg is a is a shell a yolk and a and the white around there just like those things are one so is God one and so when you call an egg an egg you don't distinguish which part of the egg you just said well give me an egg if it's an egg with the yolk you you don't have to say the yolk. just give me an egg oh but I want the yolk of the egg but it's still of the egg god is god And Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. So no contradiction. For God is one Savior in three parts. Just because Jesus Christ is uh, God and God is God and the Holy Spirit is God doesn't make God more than one Savior. So, uh, this is important to know. Here, Paul called Jesus Christ our hope. Why did Paul differentiate here Jesus Christ being our hope and not our Savior? Well... His sacrifice for our salvation brought all mankind hope. So Paul's just calling Jesus what he brought. Jesus Christ is our hope. You see, while God the Father did not die for our sins, because a Spirit could never die for our sins, it had to be a flesh man to die for our sins, but God did die for our sins through the extended body of Jesus Christ. And think about it, if you do know this, before Christ came, hope had really gone. The Judaistic, you know, the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the, and, you know, and, the, and the priests, they really had made salvation about works and about the law, the keeping of the law. That was how they kind of had looked at how we could be righteous before God. And we'll see here in a little bit that there is no salvation by the law. And so before Christ came, Christ our hope, as Paul says here, there was really no hope. Uh, for mankind hope was fleeting away very quickly there was very few that really had hope in God really had faith in God faith of salvation not and not by works so look at verse 2 Paul says the first part there verse 2 I could say it 2a he says to Timothy a true son in the faith Paul says Timothy hey he's my right hand you know, this is my true son. He's, he, is my, he is my true worker in the faith. He calls him a true son in the faith in regards to the age. Remember I told you about the ages of these two guys. Paul was a much older man. Timothy was a much younger man. At the time of this letter, Paul had been saved really mainly, for maybe about 20 or 25 years. Christ came in 33 A.D., or he died, excuse me, he died in 33 AD. Paul maybe got saved around 35 AD, within the first year or two of the, you know, of, of after Christ's death. And then really he goes away for a while. So Paul at this time, to 56 to 57 AD, if Christ, if he became a Christian in 35 AD, 45, 55, he, he was a Christian for maybe 21 or 22 or 23 years. While Timothy, which was a much younger man, may have only been a Christian for 5 or 10 years at this point. So Paul says, my true son in the faith. I want to explain something though. Paul the senior uh, may have been older and, and Timothy may have been younger, but Paul is not promoting Timothy or anybody calling him a father, or my holy father, or my spiritual father. For Christ forbids anyone to call anyone your holy father, or your spiritual father. In Matthew 23 9, he says, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Okay, the Catholics like to call their priests fathers. And that's really a holy spiritual father, and that is, according to the Bible, that's unbiblical. We don't call anyone on earth our holy father or our spiritual father. The only one that we really even should call on earth our father is the one that we're born to, which would be our dads. Like the people that born us, you know, that, that had us that that we were born from. And even at that we shouldn't call our even our own dads our holy father or our priestly father, you'd say. We should just call him dad or father in a humanly type of way. So don't get that confused because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of confusion about that. Who do we call father? And don't you don't really have to call anybody your father in the faith. They're just the elder. You know, the Bible even talks about as you go on the elders, or he's the elder in the faith. You don't even have to use the word father just to stay away from offending God, okay? Uh, Second part of verse 2, I'll call it 2B. uh, He says, after this, so he talks to Timothy now, he says who he is, calls Timothy what he considers him. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice now who Paul calls our spiritual father, God Almighty. Paul doesn't call himself father he calls God Almighty the true father and there's one there's only one spiritual father and that would be God. And then the last thing Paul says, he says true he says really to you Timothy grace, peace and truth, right? Or a grace, mercy and peace, excuse me, from God our father and that is true. For only grace, peace and mercy can come from God Almighty. It cannot come from this world. You can look for peace in this world. You can look for grace in this world. You can look for mercy or anything good in this world, and you really won't find it, not from people. People tend to be very unforgiving. People tend to be very harsh. But God, here, mercy, God is a great God of mercy, a great God of grace, and a great God of peace. And we can only find those things in him. Okay, So now that Paul's done greeting Timothy, and Paul's given all, you know, God, say the props, you know, he gives all the glory to God, which is what they deserve, he starts in talking to Timothy about some issues. Read verse 3 with me. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So, the senior apostle Paul urges Timothy to stay in Ephesus, to handle, you say, or correct some of the problems that the church was having. (gasps) You say the church was having problems, Pastor Ed? Yes, and that to me is something that shocked me. You know, it's something that shocked me for a long time as as God's revealed this to me. You know, we look at our church now and we say, Oh, you know, the church has some problems today. And yes, it does. The Christian church has some problems today. But you know what? This church was established within 20 years of Christ leaving and it still had problems. It still had problems. Within 20 years of Christ leaving, wow, mind you, most of the disciples were still alive. You'd think, surely, how could the church that was still there, I mean, when the disciples were there, when the apostle Paul was there, how could those churches have problems? But yet, they did. I want you to charge some, he says, that they may teach no other doctrines. Well, Think about that. He wouldn't have said, charge some that they teach no other doctrine if there weren't people there doing it. You know, Paul wasn't one to waste his breath. And and this is God breathed scripture, right? So here Paul says, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. He knew there were somebody there or people there, multiple people there, that were teaching other doctrines. Now, mind you, There's no other doctrine. There's a doctrine of God and Christ and the salvation and all, and then there's not. And since Paul was, you'd say, one of the original disciples, even though he wasn't one of the originals, he was saved shortly after, he kind of was kind of grafted in, and most people think they really, like, put him instead of Matthias as the 12th disciple, because Judas obviously killed himself. So they would have had the one true doctrine. So yet here Paul says teach some that they have no other that they teach no other doctrines. Look, let's look at these. Let's look at this point 1. This problem one. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. What is a doctrine? Again, they w- he wouldn't have said it if they weren't doing it. What is a doctrine? Well, a doctrine is a set of teachings. It's a way to teach the Bible. It's a, it's a, you know, a, a belief system you can call it. It's a way to teach the Bible. Um and because this was said, there were obviously some there that were teaching a different uh, you know, doctrine of the Bible. What kind of false doctrines did they have then? What kind do we have today? Really, they're pretty much the same. They're kind of packaged a little differently. I want to talk about just these few big ones, just for time's sake, because there's lots of actually false doctrines nowadays, and I'm sure there were lots then. But just to, just to hit the biggies then and the biggies now, Big problem doctrinally back then and doctrinally now is the triunity of God. That is a huge fight in this world today. The triunity of God. No, 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 no. You got people like T.D. Jakes, which is Pentecostal oneness. He believes that only God is one, and there is none. Then they're all separate, and it's a kind of a weird belief system. You got the Muslims that believe that there is only one God, and Jesus Christ was only a prophet. You have uh, uh, the Mormons. They don't believe that Jesus Christ was the son. They believe he was only the son of God, but truly begotten, not truly God himself. So truly a huge, huge, huge problem then and now is the triunity of God. God, the father being God, God, the son, Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man and God, the Holy Spirit. That was a huge doctrinal issue back then. We have this one here, still today, still then, Jesus Christ not being God in the flesh. Again, I already mentioned, uh, he was only a prophet, or, oh, he was only God's son. He wasn't really God in the flesh. And then the other one, he didn't really die and resurrect for our sins. Oh, no, the Muslims say, oh, no, God replaced him on the cross. Oh, no, that wasn't, that wasn't Jesus Christ, really. that wasn't God himself dying on the cross, because, you know, after all, how could God die? And there are Christians that dispute this. There are people that think they're Christians, I should say, that dispute that Christ would have died for our sins. But And this is the bigger one. Paul addresses this later. And I think this is kind of the one that Paul was talking about, what I can't say for sure, and so I just say it's one of the top ones now, as it was one of the top ones back then, when that would be the law. You see, in the early church, they had a huge problem with the law. All the old Jews that were getting converted, they still thought they needed the law to be righteous before God. And so they wanted to cling to the law. They wanted to cling to circumcision. They wanted to cling to the commandments as the way of righteousness instead of Christ as the way of righteousness. They wanted to cling to. To the law. And again, they thought that the law brought righteousness and salvation unto God versus Christ and through his sacrifice and so on and so forth. So again, still to this day. Many have fallen away from the Christian faith. I know personally of some have fallen away from the Christian faith because they thought the law was the main thing. And that, you know, yeah, yeah, well, I I believe Jesus came, but we must keep the law. And if they don't keep the law, and and you can even read to the book of Galatians. This was a huge problem, the early Christian church. In the book of Galatians, people were falling away from grace. Paul says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon because they were falling to the to keeping of the law for the righteousness instead of Christ Jesus and his salvation and his sacrifice. But Paul actually covers the purpose of the law starting in 8, but we're not going to read that this week, as I might have mentioned earlier. We're going to get to that next week when we talk about that. But it definitely, the law does not in any way, any doctrinal way, lead us to salvation. So there were some, now think about this, Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus. There were some that Timothy had to approach about their false doctrines about the Bible. And that's really why Paul left them there. Paul was was a missionary, and he needed pastors for each church, and this church needed a pastor to look after them and to lead its flock and to heal these problems that this church was having. But look at that wasn't all. Doctrines were only the only problem that they were having. Look at problem number two. Read verse four with me. He says, not only doctrine's a problem, verse 4, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. So some there, problem number two, some there were giving heed to fables and endless genealogies. Or you could say listening and believing others that were bringing these false things in. Number one, let's talk about the fables. What is a fable? Well, if you think about your storybooks, fables are false stories. Fables are made-up stories that people just come in and they kind of make things up. So you could say fabricated. They have no truth, and so they're just fabricated or made up. Reminds me, here when I read this over, reminds me of Joseph Smith with Mormonism. He made up the Book of Mormon by a so-called vision that he alone only had. Nobody else saw these visions. Nobody else saw these golden tablets that he so-called had, but he yet he made up a whole story about this vision he saw of Jesus Christ, and he denies God that you know Jesus Christ is the one true God and all this stuff, and just make Jesus God's Son. And so they were believing. These made up, fabricated stories that people were bringing into the church, and some—he's numbered this other problem here. Some were getting caught up in disputes concerning endless genealogies. You know, if you're if you're if you're familiar with the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, so and so begot so and so, so and so begot so and so, so and so begot so and so, and so and so begot so so, and you can go on forever. Well. That reminds me of the Jehovah Witnesses. If you've ever talked Jehovah Witness with ever in your whole life, you'll find that they just go on and on and on forever. I call them the rabbit trail people. They're really, they just rabbit trail you. You'll try to talk to them about one thing of the Bible and they'll, they you off into another direction. You try to talk about this one and they, they endlessly endlessly want to just talk to you about just circled things, things that don't even matter. And so here, these people were also getting caught up with so-and-so, begot so-and-so. Now, point on this one, false doctrine's terrible, fables terrible, genealogies can actually be a good thing. I mean, me, myself, I've been greatly edified when I've looked at the genealogies because if you look at the genealogies of the Old Testament and you do a study on them, you see where Christ came from. And it wasn't like just this, oh, here Jesus was and and oh, he died for the sins. No, no, no. There's a whole backdrop of like 38 or 42 books or something like that of the Old Testament that have all these genealogies in them, and these genealogies portray and they show us the actual family. You can actually go from Jesus Christ in the New Testament, go to his father, which was well, which was God, but was Mary and Joseph were, were his earthly parents. And you could go to them, but then you can actually go back in the Bible and you can look at their parents. And then you can go back and look at their parents. And you can actually go back in the Bible and you can see where Jesus Christ actually was born from. And that he actually was the son of Adam. And you can find that in the Bible. How You can find the genealogy, which is a family tree, from Adam and Eve all the way to Joseph and Mary, Jesus Christ, mother and father. So that could be edifying to me, but however they were doing this getting caught up in endless genealogies i don't exactly know what that means because i don't really have any there's nothing written about in the bible they weren't doing it in a way that was edifying they, they maybe even were falsifying some things but either way it was not bringing godly edification and love and sadly all these false and ungodly things that these christians were listening to and believing were causing divisions in the church among the brethren because that's what they're going to do Anytime you're not teaching the truth, anytime you're teaching falsehoods and fables and false doctrines, that's going to separate and divide people. Christians, the Bible says, are supposed to build one another up in the most holy faith. Christians are supposed to strengthen each other in the true doctrines of Christ in the godly faith, not listening to false doctrines, not making up false stories and such. And look at this, listening to and believing all these false teachings and fables doesn't help us be where God wants us to be. Where does God want us to be? What path does God want us to be on? Look at verse 5, Paul tells us. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. That's where God wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be wrapped up in false fables. And, 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 and false doctrine and, and endless discussions about nothingness. He wants us to be wrapped up in love. Didn't Jesus say that we would know one another, that we, were no, that we would know that we belong to God, that we would know that we're true disciples if we had love for one another? Love. That's number one. That's number one thing God wants from all his children for us to love one another. Number two, a good conscience. What is that? Continuing to believe and not letting the false things of the world corrupt your beliefs. Not letting worry corrupt your belief. Not letting you lose your job or, or I don't have enough money to make rent this month. Or, but continuing to have steadfast belief. A good conscience. Man, I know what I believe And and I'm not moving from what I believe. I don't care what this person says or this person says, because what they say is not according to the Bible. I'm going to believe the Bible because I believe that God is trustworthy and true. And I'm going to have a good conscience toward God. And we must keep a good conscience because if we don't, we're going to find out what happens in a little bit. But the last one he says, he says, Love, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. What does a sincere faith look like? We got God. This is how, where he wants us to be. A sincere faith would be this. Kind of going back to where we started. Isaiah 55, 6. Earnestly seeking Christ in God daily. Wanting to know them more. That's what God says in his word. We read it in the beginning of our sermon. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's earnest. That's a... a, uh, And that's a sincere faith, right? I mean, what what do you think of when you think of sincere? Not hypocritical, that's for sure. Truth, sincere, diligent with all my heart, seeking God to know them more. And then in knowing them more, you're going to be having a relationship with them, talking to them more, listening to them more communication, right? Hearing from God and you talking to God. That's part of sincere faith. That's where God wants us to be. What else is part of a sincere faith? Living out your faith in your daily life. By how? Hebrews 6.1. Repentance from dead works, or you could say your sinful ways, and faith towards God. We can't live in sin and then say, oh, bless God. Because God's going to say, you can't live in sin and know me. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, right? So he says, repentance from dead works is part of your earnest faith, part of your sincere faith, and faith or total ultimate trust in God. I'm going to trust in God. I don't care if the world's falling apart. I don't care if if, if the the earthquakes everywhere and tornadoes. I'm going to put my trust in God. I don't care if my house is falling down or I don't have enough money or I lost my job. I'm going to have faith towards God. That's part of a sincere and ultimate faith. And lastly, Luke 9.23, we can't leave this out of a sincere faith. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come up after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. In a sincere faith, we're following God. We're not following the dictates of our own hearts. We're following God. And we're picking up our crosses and we're crucifying our flesh. And we're following Jesus, which means we're listening to him. We're obeying his teachings. And this is all where God wants us to be. Verse 5. Purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. Loving God and loving people from a pure heart. From a good conscience and from sincere faith. Basically, in a nutshell... A sincere faith is living a lifestyle of love towards God and man, keeping your life away from sinfulness while continuing to believe and totally have faith and trust in God and Christ. That's a sincere faith. And that's where God wants those that are His. That's where God wants everybody. Because you know why? That means that you're trusting in Him. That means that He's looking to you. That means that you guys are communicating. That means that God wants the only thing that He can't force to make happen. He can't force to make happen a relationship with you. He gives that up to you. He leaves that up to you. He wants to know, will you, do you want to have a relationship with me? So you know what? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Come on, guys. I long for you to seek me. I long for you to have a relationship with me. I long for you to love me. Wow. But what can listening to all the false doctrines and fables lead us to? Look at verses 6 and 7, our last two of the day. Look at what listening to all these false things can do, from which some... Listen, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Ooh, idle talk, that sinfulness. They strayed. Notice that if you think about a sheep and the flock, and the sheep it's with the shepherd and it's with the flock, and then the sheep strays, what do you think of? He's off the path. He's gone away from the flock. Here, listening to all these false things, some have strayed having turned aside to idle talk. And what else do they do once they stray? Well, then they desire to be teachers of the law. Because guess what? If we're going to believe these false doctrines, and Christ's death wasn't enough for me to get saved, you know what? i got to trust in the law. So what do they do? Desiring to be teachers of the law. But Paul says of them, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they Affirmed. So what happens to you, if you stray, you start getting confused, and then you start thinking you need other stuff for salvation, and then before you know it, Christ isn't even the Savior of your life anymore. Now you're trusting the law, and now you're living a completely legalistic lifestyle, and nothing good comes from listening to false fables and endless genealogies and false doctrine. Nothing good comes from that, except, from, except for... Falling away from Christ and into sinful ways and falling into the same destructive pattern of false teaching about God, Christ, and salvation. And what happens if we fall into sin and false doctrines? What happens even if a Christian, somebody that's saved, falls into false doctrines and false teachings and all this stuff? Jesus said that it's only those who endure to the end which should be saved. If we don't endure to the end in our sincere faith, you'd say, then the Bible says that we're not going to be saved. Because if we've been saved and we don't endure in a sincere faith until the end or until we die, what we're going to do is we're going to willfully walk away from our relationship with God unto destruction by our own willful desire and we're going to end up where? In hellfire. Because if we walk away and we stray... Then we're not going to walk hand in hand with God anymore, and we're going to walk away to our own destruction. Well, sadly, here these Christians had listened. Some had listened to some that had brought in these false doctrines and fables and disputes upon these upon the the uh, the, the sadly the pure genealogies. It's not the Bible's fault. It's what people do with the Bible. That's the problem. If we just read our Bibles and we just listened to God and we just followed what God said to the letter. Literally, nobody would have a problem. Yet, people take the word of God and they twist it. And it's usually to their own gain. I was talking about, this is my father yesterday. Most false doctrines come because I want to have something. Most false doctrines come from because they don't really have a fear of God. Most false doctrines, most fables come because, you know what? Man, I got I to gotta, I gotta get rich. And so people start teaching them because they desire something more than God, something more than Christ. And here, as we just read over, Paul leaves Timothy in charge of this this church at Ephesus, which really, it's got itself into a mess. Timothy had his work cut out for him here, didn't he? I mean, uh, you know, Paul didn't be like, oh, you know what? Tell them all I love them and bless them all and, and, you know, keep teaching them in the truth. No, he said, Timothy, I, I got some bad news for you. Here, you're going to walk into this church, and they got all kinds of problems, man. And you know what? you got to address them. Wake up call. Time to grow up. That's what what Paul said to Timothy here. Uh, Wow. So today, we heard of some problems in the early first century Christian church. They had, again, they had people bringing in false doctrines and teachings and people listening to them. We had people bringing in fables. Made up stories. Maybe they were making up stories of Jesus. Oh, oh, when when Jesus was alive, this is what happened to me. You know. Well, wait a minute, uh, brother Joe. uh, Doesn't that go against what uh, you know? What 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 Paul taught us about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. But this is a different time, you know. And oh, it's the secret time that me and Jesus met. You know. So they had people bringing in all these. False fables, and then they had people that were just constantly disputing the pure and holy genealogies. the people that were twisting the good word of God. Well, sadly, we've seen this actual thing happen for almost 2,000 years since the Christian church has been established, and we're still seeing it today. Uh, so please don't think, this is another misconception, please don't think that the devil is not in the Christian church, because he absolutely is. He's actually sitting here right among us right now and listening. He doesn't like what he's hearing, but he's he's right here, just like he was right there in the church of Ephesus. Because if he was bold enough to go in and bring in false doctrines, fables, and make Christians argue in then, and that was within 20 to 25 years of Christ's life, while his personal disciples were still alive on earth, he definitely doesn't have any qualms about coming in here right now and trying to destroy us too. You see, here's the problem. Here's where the devil had a problem. The devil thought if he killed Christ, he'd win. He thought, if I kill Christ, I'm going to stop God's plan of salvation. See, God blinded him. He didn't even know that what he was doing was working right into God's plan, right? So he thought, I'm going to kill Christ, and I'm going to stomp out God's plan of salvation. But you know what? He didn't win. God blinded him, Christ had victory, Christ brought salvation by his death and resurrection to all people. So once the devil sees, so the devil sees he's not a loser. He doesn't want to lose. In fact, we could learn a lot, even as Christians, from the devil as far as, because he doesn't give up. Right. A lot of times we give up. We face adversity, and what do we do? We lay down, and we fall down, and we just give up. I, I myself have been guilty of that many times. But you see, the devil, he never gives up. So once he realized that he hadn't won, you know, in effect that he helped God with his purpose of killing Christ, what did that sneaky old devil do by well, what our scripture said today? He saw God building his church, and he figured, well, since he couldn't destroy it, because remember, Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, he figured he'd just come and he'd walk beside it, and what did he do? He'd become a member. Just like, guess who? Just like Judas did. Look at there. The devil was in Christ's disciples, sitting right there with Christ the disciple as he walked three and a half years of his life. The devil wasn't afraid to be near Jesus. He came to Jesus and tempted him for 40 days in the wilderness. So what did he do? He comes inside the church and he becomes a member, just like he did when Judas. And what did he do, though? He he slightly and gently, just at first, just brings some heresy. Oh, let's just, oh, come on! Just let's bring this false teaching and oh, let's just bring this heresy. Oh, oh all these, these false stories. Oh, endless arguments about this genealogy. And then, well, you know what? No, 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 that genealogy. I mean, anything. and what did he do? What does he do by doing all that? Turns Christians against one another. Turns us into arguing with one another. And in fact, if if you want a good account to read, you can read about a story by the name of uh, a guy named Balaam. Back in the Old Testament, you see, God was leading his children of Israel all the way through the wilderness for 40 years. And before that, he led them out of Egypt. And so as they're wandering through the wilderness, uh, this one king was scared. And he's like, oh, my gosh, the children of Israel have come, man. look, Look what God just did to Egypt because of them. So he calls this very godly man, who wasn't Jewish, and his name was Balaam. And he says, "Balaam, I want you to curse Israel for me, because I don't want them to take over my kingdom." Well, Balaam, because God bound his mouth, he actually blessed the children of Israel three times. So we actually read about this king getting really mad at him, sending Balaam away. But then later on, we find through the writings and through the, just the you know the New Testament and stuff that Balaam really didn't leave. What he did was he went back to the king. After he couldn't curse Israel, he had to bless them, he went back to the king and he said, well, here's what we're going to do, king. See, I can't curse Israel because they're they're gods. Just like the church, that's God's church. Can't curse it, but here's what you can do, king. You can send out these women And if these women go into their congregation, once these women go in there, you you send your your sexiest women inside their congregation. What the men are going to do? Oh, the men, they're going to go after those women. And you know what? God's going to be so angry at them, he's going to destroy them because they're falling into fornication and adultery. And that's exactly what happened. And that's exactly what the devil's been doing to the Christian church. The devil, I can't take it down, but certainly I can send in my men. And they can destructively bring in heresies. And they can destroy the church from the inside out. And then when the Christians, those that love God, start falling away from God, well, God will turn his hand against them just like he did against Israel. And therefore, I won't have to destroy the church. God will be angry and he'll start smiting the people of the church. And he'll start destroying the church. And that's exactly what we've seen. Horribly, the devil's been very successful. And sadly, he's doing a great job of it today. People are falling into the same things they did in the church of Ephesus. If you look at the false teachings in the church today, and even if you even include, which I do not, excuse me, some people do, But if you include the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons into Christianity, which I do not because they hold a false god according to their own doctrine, but most people would look at them and say, oh, no, they're Christians. If you look at the main Christian church of today and even these other two cults that they have that believe that they're Christians, if you really look at their doctrines on salvation, the triunity of God and who Christ was in heaven and hell, it's really scary. Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in hell. They believe in the annihilation theory, where well, God is a good God and He loves, and so He wouldn't send anybody to hell and make them burn there forever. No, after not. And, well, Jesus Christ, and He's not really God. He's just He's just God's son, and God created Him, which goes against you know John one one, for in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you love all these false teachings? They're everywhere. And even in the cults that they think they're Christians, they're everywhere. And the devil's really done a good job of destroying the Christian church from the inside out. Now, the devil has still not prevailed against God's church and salvation, but he has taken many a person away from the true doctrines of God and Christ and salvation. So my plea for you today after this section of scripture is this. To all those true believers... Out there that are listening to this message, I plead with you, I I plead with you, don't allow false doctrines about Christ and about salvation to work their way into your life. Refuse it. I plead with you, stop them. Get into your Bibles. Don't allow false doctrines about Christ and salvation to work its way into your life or your church. What is salvation? Salvation is something that God brought, not something that we can work for. What did we read earlier? God, I, only I, I am the only Savior. God is the Savior. He wants to save you, but you can't save yourself by religion. Who are you trusting in to save you today? The Bible says that only Jesus Christ can save you. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says, and I am the only way that that you can come to the Father. Only by me. Not by your religion, not by your works, not by your this or not by your that. But yet you would, wouldn't believe all the ways that people think that they can get saved today. You wouldn't believe it. Oh, I can get saved by this and oh, I get saved by that and oh, I go and pray this rosary or, or, or oh, I go and you know, and I, I did these works and oh, I'm a good person and oh, it's all crap. But it's in there. Salvation is God came to earth as a man died on a cross for your sins and my sins and what we need to do is surrender our lives to him and make him the lord of our lives and accept his free gift of salvation by faith not by works so if your church is teaching anything other than that get out find a church that teaches grace through faith equals works not works plus faith equals salvation no sir no, ma'am, grace plus faith equals salvation. Please. Well, who is Jesus Christ? Who is God Almighty? Well, they're the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God in one, God in three parts. Jesus Christ Savior, God the Savior, Holy Spirit the Savior. Bible says Holy Spirit calls, so he plays a part in salvation. You don't. Jesus Christ came and died for the sins. He died for the sins of the world, and the Father sent him. If you got any other kind of salvation working out than that, and Jesus Christ being God himself, dying for your sins, because the Bible says, makes it very clear, only God, the perfect one and only God, is holy enough to die for your sins. Not some prophet who may have sinned or may have made some mistakes. No, 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 no. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, triune God. Not one and uh, revealing himself every so often, but one God in three parts from all eternity past. And if you got anything different from this, you need to get out. And you need to read your Bible. And you need to see what God has to say. And you need to do it God's way and not your own way. Because that's mostly what religion is. Religion, and especially false religion, which all religions really fall, well, excuse me, Lord, Most religions false. If you're saved, living a religious lifestyle is something God wants you to do. A religious holy lifestyle is something God wants you to do. But he doesn't want you to live a good religious holy lifestyle so that you can be saved. You will live a religious holy lifestyle if you are saved just because you came to know the love of God. So don't get caught up in fables. Don't get caught up Listen to that crap that the Mormons bring you. Don't get caught up in endless genealogies. Don't get caught up in that stuff that Jehovah Witnesses try to rabbit trail you and doing all this and doing all that. Today, you, me, the church, anybody in the church listen to me all over the world, kick the devil out of your churches. Or if you won't leave, go to another church where they're at least on track where you can join them and, and believe the Bible only and believe the Bible. Get back every one of us to study in our Bibles. Just reading them for what God has to say. Don't listen to what man has to say only if what man tells you comes out of here without any twists. I gave you no twists today. I read you the Bible. I told you what the Bible tells you. Only believe the Bible. And then, believing's not enough. Make a decision to obey Make a decision to say, wow, you love me? I must obey you because you know what? You love me. I I love you too. I want to love you too. And by turning your life to Christ and obeying God and Christ totally, let us turn again to Jesus Christ for salvation and not look unto man and not look unto religion. Surrender today. Read your Bibles. Be diligent. Be diligent. Be like a Berean, the Bible says. The Bereans, they went, and when Paul came to them, and he he was teaching them about, you know, the the scriptures, and they went, okay, well, we hear what you have to say. And then what did they do? They went back to their Bibles that they had at the time, and they read their Bibles to see if what their Bible said, not just one verse, mind you, but they looked at their Bibles to study and to make sure this whole Bible The context of the Bible was saying what Paul was teaching. And then they came back, and then a whole bunch of them got saved because they realized what Paul was teaching was accurate. So today, Christians, please kick the devil out of your life and kick the devil out of your church. Read your Bible every day and follow and obey and surrender to Jesus Christ every day. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and thank you so much for your wisdom, Lord God thank you, thank you so much, Lord God, that we see that that sadly that even this church of Ephesus, which would only which had only been established within the first twenty five years after your life, Lord, thank you, Lord, that we have the example in there that even they had problems, Lord, before we start thinking, oh, the devil crept in after all this time, no no, no, no no Lord, we see right here that the devil had crept in within even one of the first churches that you had ever born. And Lord God, but, but you know what? Believe There are still believers because those believers got back on track. And that church got back on track, Lord God. And, and Lord, they started listening to you and they started obeying you. And Lord, so it's not too late for us today. We can kick the devil and all the false beliefs out of our churches today right now, yes, Lord, and we can start believing the truth again. Please, Lord, bring the church back to the way you want it to be. Kick the devil out, Lord God. Let us put our feet down right now and stomp them out of our churches, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that more churches today, Lord, would repent and turn back to you for salvation. Please, Lord, and may all your true children, Lord God, may you draw them, put a a harder burden on their hearts than ever before, Lord, to read and listen or whatever, to study your word more and more and more. And more and more so we could be like the Bereans. Thank you so much, dear God. And we pray all these things and we ask them all in the name of the mighty, mighty name. The Savior, Jesus Christ, our only hope. Amen.